You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? This is Quantum Leap Book Club and our regular host Parisha will not be joining us tonight as she is traveling and teaching. So her co-host will cover tonight's material. We have our co-host Geraldine Dalby-Ball, environmental biologist from Sydney, Australia. Trina Cooper, lifelong entrepreneur from Denver, Colorado. We have Maria Jappas, therapist from Miami, Florida. And myself, Marianne Love, um, psychologist from Melbourne, Australia. And our book this week is by Michael Talbot. And we're reading The Holographic Universe, and we're in chapters three to six tonight. Um, and we're broadcasting through Law of Attraction Network Radio. So let's begin. So this has been a really fascinating book, and I, I hope all of you out there are enjoying it as much as we are. Um, there's just so much in it, and um, a lot to get your head around, I think, and a lot to just explore and journal and probably do more of your own research on. Um, as you read each of the chapters. So um, we've got our co-host Maria up first to share about chapter three. Yeah. Um, and chapter the title of chapter three is The Holographic Model in Psychology. And I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this chapter because psychology is obviously um, the field that I've been working in for the, for the past 35 years. And obviously, all, this, this chapter is really jam-packed with uh, so much information. But kind of to begin, one of the um, areas that the holographic model that he's been sharing has an impact has definitely been in the, in the field of psychology. And like I was saying earlier, you know, this whole chapter is kind of hard to go into all the details because it's so full of example after example of experiments of how we're all connected. And this was really exciting to me um, because it's really challenged my belief systems and, and challenged me to think very differently than number one, how I was raised and number two, how I was trained as a psychologist. And there is so much that we are discovering about reality and consciousness that the sciences are actually now beginning to back it up and this says so much about the times that we are currently living in, which is why we're reading this book at this time right now and the importance of it. But even most recently, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to three scientists for their contributions to advancing to the field of quantum information, primarily in the field of quantum entanglement. Now, I know that's a kind of a technical term, but basically what that says is that two particles and think of particles are very minute, minute substances, smaller than an atom. They can be affected by each other, no matter the distance. Well, in the field of psychology, we have the same thing, where there is a connection between the consciousness of two or more individuals. 
And Michael Talbot spends a great deal of time in this chapter citing several psychiatrists and, and, and psychologists who have contributed to the field of psychology tremendously. And one of those was a psychiatrist, Carl Jung. And he coined the concept of the collective unconscious, which said that myths, the myths that we believe, believe in, the dreams we have, hallucinations that schizophrenics have, religious visions that mystics have, all came from the same source of this collective unconscious and that it was shared by all. And he came to this conclusion from working with, on a psychiatric unit with a schizophrenic patient. And he came up and saw the patient kind of staring at, out the window and looked at and asked him what he was doing. And the patient said that he was looking at the sun and he was moving his, his head from side to side. And that when he did, there were, he was looking at what the patient said, a penis and emitting from the sun. And that when he moved his head from side to side, it caused the wind to blow. Now, of course, Jung kind of chalked that up and said, okay, well, that's a hallucination. You know, he's schizophrenic and just went about his business. Well, years later, as Michael Talbot tells us in the book, he came across a 2000 year old translation of a Persian text that described the same thing that the patient had seen, but not exactly, but described it as not as a penis, but that there is a tube. Now a Persian text, okay, describes a tube coming from the sun. So he said this came from the collective unconscious of the universe. And so he coined the term the collective unconscious and Jung's work in psychology has become very impactful. I uh, many years ago studied some of his work and used it and, and was mostly interested in dream interpretation. Um, so basically, you know, what this is telling us is that the holographic model provides an, an explanation of the interconnectedness of all things. And he, Michael Talbot goes on to explain that even in, in, in people who are experiencing um, mental health disorders, schizophrenics, and because I have worked and I actually I'm currently working with a case right now of a young, young gentleman who's uh, had has had paranoid ideations um, where the, the schizophrenics tend to see they, they, they experience themselves with no boundaries. And they view all points as equal, like like my patient, a lot of what he goes through, and it's been a real challenge with his mother, is that he feels that he that people are reading his energy that are in his head and that he can get into other people's heads. Um, and unfortunately, the traditional model of psychiatry is to put them on medication. And of course, this dulls the brain and the senses completely and Everything is pretty much lost, in, in my opinion. Um, now, on the other hand, there is another example of the other side of a mental health disorder that is manic depressives. And I also worked with someone like this who was on medication and he went off his medication. And manic depressives are different in that they become fully immersed in the hologram. And, the, and all the they begin to see all the possibilities that exist out there as the hologram and they feel the grandiosity of it. What happens is, is they can't keep up with all the ideas and images that are coming. And I, and I 
it was amazing to see that happen firsthand with my other patient. And what happens is they become very overwhelmed. And unfortunately, my, my patient was also a musician. He got very inspired and creative and started writing songs. In any case, unfortunately, he did get a little what that we call manic, which means very, very highly anxious and had to go back on his medication. And then, of course, the creativity stopped. So I think it challenges us as you know, in the field of psychology, and I know Marianne is also in the field of psychology, that we have to find alternative ways to, to work with these people because they they really, medication isn't always the answer. But the other contribution to the area of psychology that um, is in the book was the work of Stanislav Groff, where he did experiments with LSD. And the main contribution came from what he believes is the holographic model that accounts for the interconnectedness with all things that when he did LSD subjects, all his subjects felt like this amazing connection to people, plants, everything. Um, so he was able to, that, that they, and, and he also um, developed a holograph, holographic, a holotropic breathwork um, which was without uh, drugs that they were able to uh, get to those points of uh, consciousness and being able to reach those same uh, levels. And the final and perhaps the most significant example of the holographic model is that of multiple personalities in, in which an individual who's diagnosed with different, uh, this condition, they experience different personalities. And what this suggests is that all the different personalities are somehow related to the original personality, which suggests that it's a, some type of holographic process that's involved, this, despite that they even experience different brain patterns and physiology when they move from personality to personality. So these are just a few of the examples in this chapter. There's much more in this chapter that if you're really interested would be worth reading. It was exciting to read because it really makes you begin to think outside of the box. And, and like I said, it, it, I was, it was exciting for me because it challenges the way that I thought and, and was trained. So I encourage everyone to fully read chapter three and, and benefit from everything that he said. Thanks, Maria. I think you made something that is complicated, very user-friendly then. And it was, it's very, very interesting. So thank you for that. So we'll go on to um, Trina now. is going to share about Chapter 4 in the book. Yeah, this is kind of, um, this is fun. This is a kind of a fun chapter to think about. It's called, I Sing the Body Holographic. And it reminds me of the song where they said, I Sing the Body Electric. The holographic seems um, so much more fun uh, when you think about the way that the brain works in, and the way that they describe it in this book. And this is not just about the body and health and wellness, but it's also about the body's ability to perform or to learn how to create. And so one of the things that was brought out was the fact that um, in health, well, let me go back one second. Um, the brain what they're talking about works holographically. It creates images and 
the brain's ability to create these images is the key to this, that it creates pictures and the pictures they create from the sensory input and the body kicks in with its chemical responses. But the brain itself can remember an image. It can create an image from the sense outside sensory perceptions it gets. And it can also create images just from thinking, from being imaginative. So this, the idea of therapeutic use of this imagery in creating health has been brought up, um, has been tested by scientists, by doctors. And it shows that when the idea of use of imagery, um, relaxation techniques, that there's a huge rate of success in the healing of a patient. Now, these patients, when they are taught to relax, when they're taught to create these images and implant these ideas, these positive ideas, the ones who use this type of therapy tend to heal where the people who don't believe it's going to work, the people who don't see any possibilities of things and completely shut it out are the ones who don't normally heal as well. So one of the things that is pretty interesting is that um, the brain does not have the ability or the, the mind body doesn't have the ability to tell the difference between what we consider reality and what is image. And we'll have the exact same reactions in our physical body by either imagining or by experiencing from the outside world. Take, for instance, example, you know, when you think about someone who you really love and just the thought of them giving you a hug, just the thought of being with them can create the same kind of response in you as if you actually saw them or actually touched them and hugged them. That's the kind of thing they're talking about here. So one of the, one of the um, things that turns out to work really well are placebos. Now, placebos are like pills or some type of procedure that's actually prescribed for a patient. And um, they actually get well, even though they're just taking a, a sugar pill or the actual type of procedure isn't even done, but they believe it's been done and the body heals. Another thing um, that was pretty amazing was the fact that when you get over the old beliefs, when you get rid of the old beliefs, when you release them, amazing things can happen in the body. One of the things that was trained, that was taught too, and, and that they studied was the fact that in performance, if they took a group of people and they actually had them either play the piano or practice shooting baskets or whatever, another group of people that didn't practice at all, and then a third group that used imagery, so they imagined themselves playing the piano or imagined themselves shooting baskets, what ended up happening was that the ones who imagined improved the, in their skills almost as much as the ones who physically did the practice. Now that talks about the power of our brain. 
And one of the things that was brought up that's incredibly important is that a lot of things can impact this. One of our cultural beliefs, our attitudes, our power of will, the unconscious beliefs that we have, if we're a fighter or not, if we're going to put all our effort in and, and focus into something like this. Um, so there's really two big messages in this whole chapter. If we remember that the brain takes in the information from the senses or from the imaginal realm that's created, it can create change in the body. The mind-body cannot distinguish between what is external or what is imaginal. It reacts to both of them exactly the same way. So both have huge impacts on our health and on our ability to achieve. And what's really cool is that we each have that ability. We all have the ability to create and influence and control our physical form with what we think and what we believe and that this is an ability that we can grow, that we can teach ourselves to grow. And the last part is we have, we have to become aware of and master our mind. We have to master the images we produce, the thoughts we produce, the beliefs we produce. We've got to really examine the hopes and fears. And any little slight change that we make in these can have a huge, huge difference in both our health and what we're able to, um, what we're able to achieve. So that's what I wanted to share tonight. Beautifully said, Trina. Thank you for that. And Geraldine, what do you? What have you got for us tonight? Oh, a very exciting chapter five. It's called a pocket full of miracles, and that uh, that is a really good way to start because we have this idea as a miracle being something that's. Um, not able to be described, attributed to something else, often attributed to a higher deity. And in this case, we're looking right in the beginning, there's a little saying, which is um, miracles don't defy the laws of nature. What they defy is our understanding of the laws of nature. So the more we look into subatomic particles, the behaviour of them being energy most of the time, that interaction of the thoughts and the energy, the more we're seeing that what we thought would be an impossibility of something actually fits quite well with this, with the holographic universe theory. So we'll call them miracles, but now we do understand them better, that this we can look at it and say, actually, we have a scientific storyline that fits what we're seeing, which is a big theme throughout this book, over and over showing that things in science that weren't able to be easily explained can be explained with the concept of our brain being holographic, our beingness being holographic, the universe being holographic. So the interaction of energy resulting in something that we sense, including our physical body. So in The Pocket Full of Miracles, one of the things that came out strongly was this concept of intense devotion. So devotion is a focused um, thought and faith in one particular direction. And one of the examples is from the um, Catholic background where people are so devoted intensely to Jesus that they've got what's called the stigmata, which is the marks of the nails on the hands and the feet and for some also the gash in the side of their body. So 
this has been documented over and over and it's not that people sit there and make holes in themselves you know all of that's been said some people's open up spontaneously at a certain uh a certain matching of a particular date and then close up again others are open all the time but never get infected so these are physical things that happen and scientists from all walks of life like to study them because they don't fit the, the physical world theory, Newton's theory that everything is stuff. But they do fit the holographic one because as the mind and the feeling changes, you can change the expression of how those subatomic particles are put together and therefore you're changing the look, the feel, the presence of the physicality of a being. So great examples in Chapter 5, um, including, including <laughs> moving on to what's called the gremlin in the machine, which, and I've experienced this, so it's like, okay, where's my mindset at? And it's when, you're the, it's when something happens with a machine that's the most inopportune time. So if you had to have something that was printed at a certain time, the printers work forever, and just at that moment it breaks, that's the gremlin in the machine. And what they're saying is cytokinesis again, which is the thoughts resulting in an action. So cyto is mind and kinesis is movement. So the mind resulting in a movement, in this case, the movement of the machine. And if the whole emanation from someone is this has to work, which is really saying I'm really worried about it not working, not working, not working, the machine responds. And then that some might say completely impossible, impossible from a physical perspective but when you look at it from a hologram perspective of subatomic particles being mostly energy and being able to pop in and out, taking on a particular form, then yes, the emanation from a person can influence the emanation of those subatomic particles. And as they say, again, the holographic universe now gives a scientific way that the gremlin in the machine can happen because it happens more than more than randomness uh, they also found that when one's faith is challenged that's when you get amazing outcomes like you can read the different ones about different saints who've been martyred or put into fire or had you know bricks and things well not bricks way back in the day but stones thrown at them and they still live and whether you believe them all whether you believe none whether you want to look into the documentation, even those who set out to disprove some of those cases have come back and had to say, well, actually, all the evidence is there that these physical things did happen and this person was not negatively impacted. So then you could ask the question, well, what if that's true? What does that actually mean for me and my physical body? What does it mean for um, the so-called laws of the universe that I must walk or move my whole body if I'm to get from here to there? Yet we know again of of stories particularly from traditional peoples when there's a meeting point people just appear there again that would be totally viable in a holographic universe theory uh, and moving towards the end of this chapter again we get taken back to our principal physicist who we're talking about a lot called Bohm and he's really saying that all these things show that thoughts and feelings influence energy the energy then responds and becomes a particular physicality. It's also saying, so he's actually saying that consciousness influences particles and our thoughts influence consciousness. So it's seeing us as consciousness and the field 
which is also part of us, not separate, but the field. We're like a little pop-up of this big piece, like one wave isn't separate from an ocean. That's like us as a being is, is connected to the whole field. But that whole field is consciousness. Wherever there's energy, there's consciousness. So now we have this beautiful dance of, of consciousness communicating with consciousness of an individual responding and communicating with consciousness of the whole field and that responding back and that's how the particles come into being the other physicists are saying no way stuff is stuff and doesn't matter what you think or feel it's not changing very good thank you i know there's a lot to pack into just a little bit of time to share with everyone so you did awesome thank you for that so I wanted to share about Chapter 6 in the Holographic Universe. So for those of you with the book, that's page 162. And there's some really interesting points in this chapter. So firstly, and I think one that we can all really reflect on and could change our lives in a second if we really took this on, is that we see with our brain and not our eyes. So the eyes are much more like a camera. And the inf- all the information is going in, and yet it's the brain that's interpreting that information and then turning that into something that we feel is tangible in this dimension that we can identify with. So that actually means there's a huge amount of information that we are not picking up on and we're not seeing because we haven't been wired to see that. So if you tell, and this is me talking, not Michael, but if you tell a child that something doesn't exist, they're going to have that wired in their brain. So then by the time they're an adult, they're not going to see the possibility of that thing. So an example of that, he he sort of um, talks all through this chapter, is the fact that there are many people that can actually see auric field. They can see it to the degree that they can actually diagnose health conditions. They can read personality characteristics, mood, mental health, psychosis. They can read all of that through looking at the air auric field so the auric field is basically the energy field around the body so we all can identify with the fact that the brain emits energy like there is equipment that measures the brain that measures the brainwave pattern so so this is no different from the body then emitting energy and that can be read and picked up on it can be read by equipment and people are able to see it now some people are born being able to see it like and other people maybe have a spontaneous, miraculous experience and then they can see it. And other people develop the practice. So they they meditate, they go into spiritual cleansing, cleansing, they sit with elders or spiritual masters, they wire their brain to say the auric field exists and then they train themselves to start to notice aspects of the auric field and then they learn to see it within themselves. So all of us, I think, can... The key is it's open to everybody if you have an interest to explore this avenue of sight and awareness. But, I mean, the powerful thing of being able to see auric field is that you can really help people at a more subtle, much greater level. I mean, if you could see that a person already is developing, say, some sort of illness like cancer, and he talks about the fact that illness is already developing in the auric field, before it hits the body. So if you can imagine seeing something in the auric field before a person is living and experiencing those symptoms and doing something about it, it would be like a game changer 
for medicine, for our health and well-being on the planet. Like imagine if people could really embody this and go, wow, I can do something about my physical health by taking charge of what's actually occurring in my auric field. And as the others suggested and spoke about from what he's written is the fact that um, what's in the auric field is what's in our minds. It's what's in our emotions. We're emanating at all times into our own auric. The auric field is the pattern of what's in our mind and our emotions. So then that then equates to our physical health. So there's heaps and heaps of research. So I encourage you to read the chapter because, and all the chapters really, but there's lots and lots of examples he's given from different people um, that he's either known personally or that he's read about other research about really how accurate these psychics or clairvoyants or mystics can be in identifying health conditions, like so accurate that um, they could they could take people, see what's in their health and then have those people go to the doctor and have it all validated by equipment. Um, so lots and lots of examples if you need con convincing about that. I thought one thing that stood out, I don't want to speak for too long because I know we want to have a pretty healthy discussion, but one thing that stood out to me was that he was actually himself in a meditation process where he was frustrated with his own body. And in the meditation, he spoke to his spleen and he kind of told it off. He berated his spleen and he and he basically said, you know, come on, come into line, like, you know, basically through negative words, like told it it had to perform. And um, the psychic came to Michael and looked at, looked at him and said, what's going on with your spleen? Like, looks like you've been talking really negatively to it and it's totally confused. And Michael remembered what he'd done in his meditation and went, oh, my God, yes, I have been. And she was saying that really the spleen thought it was doing the right thing by him and now it's been told it's doing the wrong thing by him and it's just unhappy about it basically and it's gone off kilter even further than it probably already was. And so that made him really reflect on the fact that, oh, my God, are these all organs all conscious? They all have their own conscious awareness and then how we relate to them, how we talk to them is actually how they'll then align or not align with our health and well-being. Um, and I think that is so relevant for everyone. So like who, who just consciously every day, every moment of the day loves as all aspects of their body, all their organs? Like, yet, you know, who thinks positively about every aspect of themselves? Because if you're not, then what are you doing to your organs? <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? Like, I think it's something really to reflect on. So there's heaps in this and I want to open it up to discussion now because um, I know everyone's going to have lots of different thoughts about all the things that they've read um, and want to share. So just opening lines up now to all the co-hosts. It's lovely to see all your beautiful faces. And what do you have to share? What something that stood out to you or you're reflecting on? You know, how will you use this? How What will you do with this information? I think people out there want to know, what do you do with this information? And this is Trina in Denver. And I'm, I'm finding this interesting that in each chapter, he kind of sums up the same thing that says, you know, basically there's this starting point, the starting point of intention or thought. Um, and it impacts the field. It impacts the what he calls implicit. So all the potential that's there. And when that impacts it, 
it begins to draw it out, the seeds planted, it starts to come out. In the case of the body, um, it begins to impact on the body. Like you were sharing, you start talking to it and, and all of a sudden an organ has an issue. And um, one of the examples he gave in the chapter was um, a woman who got breast cancer and, and um, ended up having a mastectomy. And one of the things she kept saying was, I just need to get this off my chest. I just need to get this off my chest. So really, really simple little things that you would think over and over again, what came to mind for me was um, growing up, I always heard my mother say, I don't have time to be sick. I don't have time to be sick. And that's something that she was hardly, I, I hardly ever remember her getting sick. I know I took that in. I can hear myself saying that and, you know, that, that it's not there. And I've literally at times, even before studying any of this, where um, I did get something, I would just say, um, you know, this isn't serving me. This isn't, you know, I don't need this. And it would, it would go. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it. One of them was with strep throat. I had it the same time, three years in a row going to the same event. I got sick at the event. And finally it clicked in my head that, wow, now I'm beginning to believe that this is what's supposed to happen if I go to this event. So I just said, stop, it's not going to happen. I've never gotten strep throat since that day. And it, that's just the power of what you're able to do. Um, with the way you think you can create it and you can also remove it so it's it's pretty cool mm -hmm, absolutely I feel very grateful to my parents who didn't really buy into sickness very much as well so I was shipped off to school like it just didn't matter like those were the 70s those were the days it's like and so um now I don't I don't really identify with sickness and I just don't go there. I don't think about it. I had no payoff for it. But I just don't think about it. But I know it's, um, you know, challenging for people who are really struggling with health conditions and, and don't hear this as blame or anything. But, you know, I guess it's like, what can we do about it when, when we've all got sickness or some emotional difficulties? Like, how do you take this information and, and use it to the positive? And I think a good take home is, well, even if it's gone off, there is something that can be done about it. Basically, we just have to get more conscious and and do our best to re-script. And like you said, Trina, stop, you know, and re-script that. So I know, Maria, what did you want to share? Yeah, I think that's that's the exciting part for me, too, is that um, it puts it puts us back in the driver's seat. You know, I think a lot of what he talks about in this in this book and the concepts and it's not just and 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 what I what I love is is that he really backs it up with all the the you know the 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 research that's been done because once you start to realize that you really are in control and you can make a difference you know I love what you said Marianne is our organs actually have a consciousness well who whoever taught us that that is even a reality you know, we weren't taught like that, you know, and to begin to think like that um, really changes the whole paradigm, I think, you know, for not only us as individuals, but as a global species of humanity, 
And, you know, he, Bohm, which is a lot of the, um, uh, the scientists that he talks about um, in the book, um, and I want to read the quote because he, Bohm talked about how we fragment ourselves as individuals. And, you know, he says, and I'll, and I'll quote, he says, an individual can disconnect from all that's cooperative, meaningful, and loving, and still survive. But nations don't have that luxury, unless we learn how to overcome all the ways we've fragmented the human race, nationally, religiously, economically, or whatever, we are going to continue to find ourselves in a position where we can accidentally destroy the whole picture. And I think that the implications in this whole book and beginning to change how we think and how we see and begin to see that we're all interconnected, not only just changes ourselves, but we can begin to change the way that globally nations interact with each other. And I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely cool. That's And that um, brought home to me a little bit that you mentioned in the previous chapter too about multiple personalities and and what does that actually mean in terms of as you said if we could take if when as we take on this information and change how we think what could we change and I recall in that multiple personalities part amazing things like um, that people depending on which person they were in within their own body would have different brain rhythms different heart rhythms, different allergies. Um, there could be one that might have had a general anesthetic because they're about to have an operation and then the other personality would uh, become present during the operation and that person hadn't been anesthetized, so they uh, woke up in the emergency. Someone else who's allergic to wasps who had a really big whole wasp um, reaction but they happened to be with their therapist at the time who you know, invited the other personality forward who didn't have the allergic reaction and it all went down again. So that has been going over in my head quite a lot. It's like to change, to be able to switch and change that much, we can see that absolutely every part of our um, bio, so our life and our physiology and our chemistry, everything that we would call ourselves who we are, can completely change. There was people who had diseases in one personality but not in the other. There was someone who was drunk in one personality but not in the other. So when you actually look at how much has to go on, even for that, just being drunk or not drunk, the blood changes, the brain changes, the liver is different. So if, not if, that is documented, that's like as science as you can get. These people are real people. They've been really measured there put themselves up to say, yeah, look, see, see how different I am as each of the people I am. So as, as everyone said and Maria just said, how could life be if we were that different? You can see, change, change person, change everything. That's really cool. Wow, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's cool. Um, does anyone else have something they want to share? Yeah, this is Trina. I wanted to tag on to that. Um, because I had a friend who was a multiple personality and didn't realize it in the beginning. And then as during our friendship, um, she did. And I literally could see the differences, but the confusion that was there, like she would wake up and there would be a painting 
that had been painted and she had no memory of it. Or she, you know, one of the people would have a memory of competing in something. Another one would have a memory and her voice would change. And it was, sometimes it was a male voice. Sometimes it was a female voice. And each one of those, what I found fascinating was, you know, just even the fact that she would stand different, stand straighter, or in one case, she had a limp. And in another personality, she had a lisp. And so it was a, um, it really is, I mean, talking about that, and just thinking about the fact that we can literally shift and change our brainwaves is what we're talking about in, in many cases is the fact that we're working with that hologram. We're working with these, um, these waves of energy and the particles and, and what um, we actually create. I mean, you could say it almost seems like you create out of nothing. The intention's there. It pops up and it becomes greater. One of the other pieces that was in there was with the placebos was the fact that, you know, can they have reverse effects? Can things have, um, you know, do you give something to someone, but then if they're told it's not going to work, does it not work? Um, it's, it's pretty fascinating how powerful the mind is. And like Maria was saying, you know, we really have the control of it. And and the question is, why would you not learn how to take control of this? Just imagine what you'd be able to do if you had full control all the time. That's why I think, Trina, that um, doctors need to be very mindful what they tell their patients. Like if they say, oh, you've got three months to live, two weeks to live. Like, is that a program going into somebody's mind that they, if they believed it, like the placebo, they'll take that on as truth and then... I remember that re those research where they um, told people they were giving them an anesthetic, but they just gave them water because in war times they'd run out of anesthetic and that they didn't experience any pain because they believed that was an anesthetic and not water or treatment for cancer. The cancer cleared because they believed that that injection was a cure, you know, like how powerful the brain is can easily take on the negative as truth if we chose to. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder in, you know, in that whole multiple personality perspectives is he talking about the fact that um that from a holographic perspective like there's all these parallel worlds and that a person may in fact be kind of unboundaried tuning into all those different realities and losing their sense of I from this particular one and being influenced by all those consciousnesses in other realities that is connected to them is that what the theory is actually saying and going on for people? It would be interesting to have um, a reflection. He, he didn't mention that in the book that I clearly saw, but I certainly see what you're saying there as well. That could certainly be a perspective. He was more saying that pretty much all the cases that he had come across of multiple um, personality situation, not a disorder, um, had, had very heavy trauma in their young years. And he was saying that the, the idea of the day was that by becoming multiple people, you could share out the burden and uh, better better cope with something that any one individual may be um, overcome by. That's sort of the only part that the chapter put forward. But I do note that this was, you know, a number of decades ago in terms of its writing. So well, what you're saying like could... 
evolved. Very psychological answer. Like that's what I would read in a psychology yeah. textbook, actually. <laughs> I was wondering what the holographic Well, yes, that's what he said. He said this is this is what is seen. And from the holographic, what he's saying is it is that easy. So if we imagine that we're not looking at a physical like, okay, this is building blocks, I'm going to have to unpack it, I'm going to have to pack it all back up again, that would be a physical model you know, of of a person, of their blood. I'm going to have to change the chemistry and have to do this. But in terms of energy and frequency and information, there's just a shift in the field, which then is manifest. There's not like a building up or a building down to make a new person. There's just a change in vibration. So if we were thinking about a radio, we change the wave, which is the the vibration we change by old-fashioned radio this is, (laughs) change the tuning, or maybe you press a button and um, it scans through and gets a different number. But when we change a radio, we get a completely different song or talk show or whatever it is. So in that case, we didn't have to to, um, unpack the other radio, change the broadcaster, bring them into the place and get them to talk different. All we did was change the frequency and and exist in a completely different space. That's the concept of this holographic. When we're working with energy, we can just turn on this one or turn on that one. And that's why holographic universe gave an explanation, which is different from uh, the the more psychology-based one. Great. Thank you. Does anyone else have anything they want to share? Yeah, I, I, kind, I tend to agree with that because I got to sit in, um, I don't know if you'd call it a regression or... It was a. It was using some hypnosis with her, and the way that she described it was literally that one would move out of the way of the other. It was just really a shift in that in that solar that that um, frequency of whatever was there. One would just move out of the way, and another one would step would step in, and then another one would step in, and. Um, so it was just that little shift and that's the way they described it. I certainly see that in therapy. I mean, with all the psychodrama, which is acting therapy that I've done, I certainly see that you, even within all of ourselves, we have different aspects of our unconsciousness that can step in and out. I think the only difference I feel is that people who are well integrated have an overseer that can kind of integrate all those different what feels like different personalities and different ages our inner child like the part of us that was hurt and traumatized the part of us that's wise and grounded like can integrate all those aspects so you you don't lose a sense of I as you move through those parts um whereas others obviously lose that sense of I in all of that and then you think of all the other energetic influences on a person that you know, if all these things are occurring all at once and all time is here and now, how many influences in terms of the frequency or the radio waves, as Geraldine was saying, is on all of us in any one moment? And how do we choose which one we tap into and keep our sense of sanity and I? Yeah, it's interesting uh, concept. And that's all workable in therapy as well. I mean, you can integrate all those aspects of self and get the conscious overseer well-developed in order to have a grounded experience here that you direct. Um, yeah, there's so much in each of the chapters. Like there's so much to explore. That's a, that's a really interesting point that you made there, Marianne. And I just want to add one quick thing. that when, when you were both talking about the layers, that's a hologram 
in a hologram itself, when you get one of the little cards, you can have one layer that might be a kitchen table, then you put in another layer on top that might be a sheet, then you put in another layer. So one seemingly piece of 2D material, depending on how you move it, so that's depending on how you're bouncing the light off it, will give you a completely different being and it says that they're layered. So again, Trina with that wording too, layering, that's a holographic principle. You know what was interesting in that um, whole layering concept was when in the Chapter 6 that I read, some people spoke about the auric field being in layers, but they were saying even in that context, if you believe there are layers, you create them. And so... And so then the theory will then end up validating itself. Like they found that people of Hindu faith uh, meditated on yam, I think it was, for the heart chakra. And one of these clairvoyants were like, why are all these people got like this why in their heart? Like it's an inverted kind of energy pattern. And what they traced it back to was the Hindu culture and that all these people believing and meditating on yam and that influencing the auric field itself. It's like it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. It's interesting. It just reminded me of something in the chapters I thought I'd share it, yeah. Self-creation. <laughs> yeah, it's really like, oh, you've got to be very mindful what you take on and believe. Mm-hmm. You use it in your whole health to do it. Yeah. And what did you want to share, Maria? Yeah, it just kind of also adds to how we can't think that we're totally separate from anybody or even, you know, the energetic field or whatever you want to call it out there. We're all part of everything. So to think very disconnected really is what um, I think brings on illness. Exactly. Yeah. Grandmother shares we are the field. Exactly. Yeah. A very quick one on that. Oh, sorry, you go. No, you go. Oh, Come on, you <laughs> A quick one on that perspective of as the observer, we are changing the outcome. I'm, I'm a scientist. I've got my Bachelor of Science degree. I've done all of that. And it was through talking with my, you know, peers doing more of the humanities subjects that it started to unwind my science when I was there because we were all into data. You watch it, you repeat it, you repeat it enough times, it shows what's true. But if all of us were expecting the same outcome, who were standing there looking at the experiment, that's the outcome we got. So when people say trust the science, I highly advise you listen to the sharing that's going on now, that the outcome is influenced by the observer. Yes, (laughs) I like it. We need to promote this to scientists widely so they take it on because it's some fascinating stuff. In the um, one of the things that you can do as a scientific experiment, actually, in the book, page one hundred sixty-three or four, he had he had to actually look at some imagery and see for yourself how the mind fills in the gaps. It was really cool, yeah, and it's very simple. I mean, all of us have done, I guess, different visual things to go. Well, how does that? How is the how we how am I making that pattern start to swirl when I looked at it and it was all just grids like. But he has another example of that, how we actually fill in a hole with grid lines. So, yeah, I encourage you to play with that because it actually starts to change your mind and starts to convince you, yep, I do see with my brain, not my eyes. And if I see with my brain, how is my brain actually programmed? It's a, you know, do I need to upgrade the software to see more? That's a great question. Yes, yes. 
and it it um it leads straight into that part as well that when we say this is how the scientific outcome is that's the whole basis of it doing a hypothesis first then we're putting something out into the field so the whole process of science needs to be re-looked at if we're saying it's unbiased so I think as we include this into science, include it into our hypotheses, include it into how we look, we can cause some major outcomes, which is what the chapter had that I looked at when they talked about these people called the convulsionaries who would go into massive convulsions, like literally throwing themselves around, and uh, they would then have people do horrendous things to them physically with rocks and knives and daggers and everything and nothing impacted their physical beingness. But again, in the book, or look it up, the convulsionaries, but the church made out that they were possessed by devils and demons. And so that became a very taboo thing. But it had so many miracles when it was there. So another question, whether it's science, whether it's religion, let's just peel back the veil a bit and have a look at the things that are in front of us and ask, well, why would that be suppressed? Let's, let's have a look at that again. It's en masse. It's documented. That sounds like an exercise you would not want to try at home, Geraldine, I reckon. How about you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what did you have to share, Maria? Well, no, it was just taking me back when Geraldine was talking about because I witnessed sort of an example with my mother who's very Catholic within the Catholic Church, and there was this priest that was um, supposed to, he would go into convulsions. He'd go into this very altered state of consciousness to where he said it, where he said he saw the vision of the Virgin Mary. And this was many years ago. And, and actually that there were scientists, uh, Catholic scientists that were there actually trying to document and measure what was going on. And when Geraldine said, how come, you know, where does all that information go? And I go, yeah, nothing happened with that. I never heard any more of that. It was kind of like it then it went like kind of underground. I don't know. And it was sort of a underground type of thing. But, you know, he was uh, I'm sure what he was doing was tapping into different levels of consciousness or parallel universes like we've been talking about. Sometimes I think some people put a bit of drama to all of that so that um, I've, I've witnessed some things before where people have acted out like, you know, you sort of think of the witch doctors and they acted out this big dramatic thing. And sometimes I think they put a bit of drama to it all so that they can, it helps convince the people that it's like actually happened. Yeah, that's the justification. <laughs> as long as there's the drama, then it, then it's real. Well, it means like you think of the brain, like we'll notice it, we'll have the emotional chemistry, we'll wire it in. So if we see the drama, we'll learn it. (laughs) And if we learn it, we'll accept it and then we'll make it happen because we've accepted it. So you can see sometimes why things all play out and it's not just some distant healing that a person doesn't know about. Like sometimes they need the drama in order to be convinced of the healing. Yeah. Um. We've probably got a couple of minutes because I think we started a little later. Is there any is there anybody else that wants to share before we finish up? He was talking about in the chapter I read that um, you can actually measure a person's um, frequency levels, which is the number of cycles per second, um, and that people who don't see auric field, so people so people who are just in third dimension, um, have 
a lower, slower cycle per second, so zero to 30. But if you start to see auric field or if you're considered a mystic um, and can connect at many levels of consciousness, it goes up to like 900 cycles per second. So, and that's measured um, but with equipment. So, you know, just thinking about that, if you want to start to develop some of these gifts, like how will you then start to raise your frequency? Mm. And that makes sense in some ways. If some of these things you're perceiving is a higher frequency, you can match it. it does sort of make sense, yeah. And what did you want to say, Geraldine, before we finish? Yeah. I was just thinking too, it does make sense because when things are doing that downward causation where they're appearing for you physically, they have to slow down to where we're at for us to see them. So if we speed up a bit, we'll catch it earlier. So there's a whole spectrum out there. And I wanted to quickly add that they, that also that um, phytokinesis, the thinking causing actions, they did again with more science, like they got the, the flipping of a coin, which if you do thousands of them, it's going to come about 50% heads, 50% tails. And they got people to really concentrate like just on heads and then yeah, did so many multiples, like more than a thousand each experiment time. And they got a statistically significant difference. And what that means is that it couldn't occur randomly. They'd get more heads. And what they're saying is that's an example then of the thought feeling or the consciousness of an individual influencing not just a physical thing, but influencing an outcome. Because we often talk about manifesting things. This was changing an outcome. Great. Beautiful. All right. If there's nothing else to share, everyone feels complete, then it's time to conclude our studies. And we thank you for sharing your time and energy with us. You matter and count. You all, so you always make a difference. We look forward to being to you being with us next week as we take that leap to greater consciousness. Have a powerful week and allow your light to shine and always all good things to you. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.